Have you been seeing on the news, it's been on the news, on the internet, on Facebook, about these sea turtles hatching? Have y'all seen that lately? Do you, does anybody in here know what happens when sea turtles hatch? It is the cutest, neatest thing. I've actually heard about it. I um, actually heard, uh, saw it on a movie once before. You saw these little baby sea turtles hatching and what, they, what happens. It's so interesting. And then we, we have some friends in Florida that they were telling us about it. We were walking across the beach, and they were showing us different places where the sea turtles' nests were at. And so, first of all, here is a baby sea turtle, if you want to know what a sea turtle looks like. Isn't it so cute? It's the cutest thing. Well, what happens is a mother sea turtle will come up out of the ocean when it's time to give birth or get to lay her eggs, and she'll lay about 150 eggs into, she'll dig a hole, and she'll lay about 150 eggs, and she'll cover the hole up on the beach, and then she will leave and actually never see those baby sea turtles again. Isn't that crazy? I just find that just insane as a mom. <laughs> Some of you moms might be going, I, I wish I was a sea turtle. <laughs> No, but really, she leaves, and what happens when it comes time for the baby sea turtles to hatch, they will crawl up out of the sand. We have a picture of that here. They'll crawl up out of the sand, and immediately when they get up out of the sand, they are drawn to the water because the light of the reflection of the water draws them out there. They instinctively know what to do. And here's a picture of that. They're all racing frantically to the ocean, trying to get to the ocean. And so this process is real important. It's called imprinting. Um, the, te- the turtles, the teetles, we're not going to call them teetles today, or they're turtles, they will imprint on the sand, which means um, they just remember the beach. And so when the, the baby sea turtles, when they grow to be adults, the moms, they will actually come back to the same beach and hatch their own eggs there. It is so cool. It's just so fascinating how God designs everything, right? Well, statistics show that only about one in a thousand sea turtles actually live to adulthood. <laughs> That's not very cool, is it? <laughs> Maybe, you know, it could from either a predator that comes in and snatches them up before they even get to the ocean. Or once they get into the ocean, then they can be snatched up by debris in the sea. Or maybe a boat will strike them and kill them, or pollution. But only about one in a thousand sea turtles actually live to adulthood. And I was thinking about our own Christian life. And when we become a Christian, we, we, we are born into a new life. We have this new life. And sometimes we think when we are born into this new life, we're like, what now? What, what, do, I, what do I do? And we're frantically trying to figure out something is drawing us on the inside. We just don't know what to do. And so I was thinking about this. And uh, how many of you feel like sometimes after you, you, you receive Jesus into your heart and you kind of peek out into the new world and you're like, what do I do now? It's kind of like that, that movie, Finding Nemo, your motto is just keep swimming, just keep swimming. <laughs> Sometimes we feel like we're just surviving. Like, what in the world am I supposed to do now? So maybe you start going to church every Sunday. Maybe you start singing worship songs. Then after you start singing worship songs, maybe you start raising your hands in worship. Maybe you start serving at church, right? That's what Christians do, right? We start serving in church. You're still wondering, what in the world am I supposed to do? Maybe you start being nice to your family. (laughs) Maybe you stop cussing out the slow drivers. Well, maybe. (laughs) But then something hits. Something like you've never experienced before. Just like the sea turtles. Maybe it's a predator. 
It says in 1 Peter 5, 8 that the enemy prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Maybe it's debris, something in your life that has surfaced up and is suffocating you. Maybe it's a boat strike. Bam! Something that's not even your fault and it hits you and it blindsides you and you didn't even expect it. Maybe it's pollution in your life, things that are toxic there in your life that you need to get rid of. But whatever it is, you're wondering if you're going to make it, and you're frantically trying to get to the other side. But, unlike the sea turtles, your creator does not leave you. God is with you every step of the way, and unlike the sea turtles, you have a weapon. It's something that's in your back pocket, and we're going to talk about that weapon today. So everyone, go ahead. If you'll turn with me to Matthew 4.1. This is a story about Jesus, and it's actually right after he was baptized. Now, some of you are thinking, what? Jesus was baptized? It's really in there. We're going to talk about it today. (laughs) But after he was baptized, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So here's a story. You can read along with me. Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then my favorite verse, verse 11, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. So I'm going to read that again. Then the devil left him. So is that what you want right now for the devil to leave you alone? Right? Amen. We want him to leave us alone. So I'm going to talk today about how to argue. Those of you who have kids know that kids know how to argue. (laughs) They do. In fact, do any of y'all have a finicky eater in your family? Yes. Okay, well... I have a finicky eater named Jordan, who is the pickiest eater I have ever seen in my whole entire life. Um, And, you know, we had this rule in our house. Notice I said we had a rule in our house. Because Jordan, I'm actually a fairly good cook, I think. The rest of my family thinks so. Jordan does not think so. He will not eat anything I fix. I was raised on food like fried chicken Roasted potatoes, brisket, and beans, you know, all those good home-cooked meals. Well, Jordan will not eat them, and we just think that that is so crazy. Well, this one time, um, he was, I guess it was about 10 years old, and um, I fixed roasted potatoes, and I set it down before him, and we started eating, and he said, Mom, I don't like roasted potatoes. And I said, What? When did you not start liking roasted potatoes? He said, I've never liked roasted potatoes. I said, Yeah, you do. Go ahead and eat. And we're eating, and we're eating, and he's just sitting there, kind of like how he is now. <laughs> this expressionist look on his face. And we're eating, and um, he says, I'm not going to eat. And I said, yeah, you are. You're going to eat. You'll be fine, you know. 
And so he's sitting there. We're finishing up. And I said, okay, I tell you what, I'm making a deal with him. If you eat five bites, how many of y'all have said that? If you'll eat five bites, you can get down, right? And he said, nope. And I said, come on, just five bites. And, you know, and we're doing the dishes. We're cleaning up. He's still sitting there. I said, okay, I tell you what, if you'll eat three bites, just three bites, come on. Nope, I'm not going to do it. A little bit more time went on, and I said, okay, for the love of God, just eat one bite. Please eat something, and you can get down from the table. Because you can't get down. I laid down the rule. You can't get down until you finish your meal. Nope, he sat there. In fact, I have to take a picture. This is a picture of him during this time. (laughs) This is the look that I got, and I knew I was in trouble. He knew he was going to win. It didn't matter how long he had to sit there. I'm dead serious. This is that exact same moment, isn't it? He's cracking up, yeah. But he knew how he was going to win. He just had to sit there and wait long enough until I gave up. Of course, I gave up, and I said, okay, just go to your room. You're not going to eat anything. (laughs) But the key to us arguing is your mindset. When you read the Bible, do you believe what's in the Bible is true? Do you really, 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 truly believe it? So the world will tell you if you do believe it and you start living it, the world will tell you that what you believe is wrong. They'll tell you that it's weird or maybe it's not even relevant for today. So you've got to know what you believe and you've got to know what you're going to put in your heart. So the first time, uh, for example, you get a revelation of something that's in the Bible and you're like, Okay, I really receive that. That is true. I'm going to, and you start living your life in accordance to that truth. The word, the world, not the word, the world will come against you. Maybe family will mock you. How many of you had family that's like, yeah, that's not right. That's not going to happen. Friends may even leave you. And uh, Paul, he knew all about this. And he actually was talking in Romans. He had to renew his mind constantly. Romans 12, 2, Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul's actually saying here that the difference between righteous identity and righteous living is the renewing of your mind. God already identifies you as, as righteous. When you become a child of God, you are righteous at that moment. But are you living as though you're righteous? Are you believing it? Because it's one thing to hear or see God's will for your life, but it's another thing to actually live your life in the way that proves it. So let me show you this. It's one thing to say, I am more than a conqueror, but it's another thing to live your life in a way that it proves it. It's one thing to say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But it's another thing to live your life like you're going to prove it. But Paul says, when your mind is renewed, that you will be able to prove that good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. There's a parable that Jesus tells us in Matthew where he communicated that your heart or your mind is like a field. And the thoughts that are sown in your mind are like seed. And the outgrowth that we see in our life is simply a reflection of that seed that are being sown in our mind. So, for example, if you plant tomato seeds, we all know this, you're going to get a tomato. If you plant carrot seeds, you're going to get carrots. So if I don't like what I'm seeing in my life, 
then I've got to stop sowing the seed that I'm sowing in my mind that's producing the fruit that I don't like. So do you have fear and worry in your life? What are you thinking about? What are you praying about? What are you talking to your friends about? Believe me, I know exactly, as someone who's lived in fear and doubt for most of my life, I had to change my thoughts constantly, and I still have to. (laughs) All the time, especially right now. (laughs) But I've got to be conscious and monitor what I allow to go into my mind on a daily basis. I can't allow my mind to be constantly inundated with information that is negative or cynical, depressing, discouraging. That doesn't mean to live an isolated, arrogant life. That just means that you have to be a good steward of your mind. See, I'm not being stuck up. I'm just being a good steward of my mind. And if I let you have this, then you have my mind. Sometimes we need to think about what we're thinking about and take some trash out. In Philippians, Paul's talking about this in chapter 4. He's talking about peace. He's actually talking to the Philippians and saying, you know, that peace is more than what you pray about. It's also what you think about. He's trying to teach them that you can pray right and think wrong. I think a lot of us have been there or even there right now. So he tells them in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So think about what are you thinking about. And then what do you have to do? You have to choose and change what you're thinking about in your mind. Do you know you don't have to let your mind tell you what kind of day you're going to have? That's revelation right there. You can look in the mirror when you get up and you can say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's going to be a good day because God has given me the power to change my mood. It's going to be a good day because I'm a victor and not a victim. Once you get this revelation, everything changes in your life. Like David said, He said, I command my soul to bless the Lord. David knew this principle. So get this. If you get this revelation that you can tell your mind what kind of day you're going to have, you're going to walk into church on Sunday morning, and you're not going to let your emotions dictate to you if you're going to praise or not. You're going to praise not based on your emotions, but you're going to praise based on God's faithfulness and goodness in your life. So we can go back to Matthew chapter 4. This text teaches us that the critical key to changing our mind is learning how to argue. So if we'll look at Matthew 4, 1, it says, Then Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Now this can be a stumbling block for some of you. You would think, why in the world would God lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tested or tempted? Could it possibly be a teaching element for us? Because, you know, Jesus' life is an example for us. He died to save us, but he lived to teach us. So could it be that God let the teacher go through what he went through so that we'll know what to do in our own Matthew 4 experiences in our life? So let's look back again and go back a chapter. We're going to go back one chapter to see what happened right before Jesus was led into the wilderness. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, he says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. 
At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alightening on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and who with him I am well pleased. So do you see it right there, what God just spoke over to Jesus? He just affirmed Jesus' identity. He said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am pleased. Then immediately, immediately in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tested. Right after Jesus just was baptized and affirmed by God, he was led into the wilderness. So could it be that the very instant God speaks a promise in your life, that the enemy is going to try to come and steal that promise out of your life before you can even apply it? So let me show you how this works. Sunday morning you come in and you hear, and you claim, and you say, that's a good word for me. God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Then Monday morning speaks something completely different. You wake up, your pay was cut in half. Your car is not running. The kids need money for school lunches. Now you're sick and need to go to the doctor and you're thinking, can I even get a break? Here's another one. By his stripes I am healed. How many of us have claimed that on Sunday morning? I, I probably all of us. We are healed. Monday morning we wake up. Oh my gosh. It's like Monday morning hangover, right? Oh, I don't feel good. I don't want to go to work. I feel old. I look old. Is it always going to be like this? I feel like it's always going to be like this. So let's look again. Matthew 3, verse 17. He says, This is my son, whom I'm loving, with him I'm well pleased. And when the enemy comes in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, and it says to him, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So the enemy comes and engages Jesus in the very area he was just affirmed in. You've got to catch this because this is what happens with us all the time. Jesus hears the father say, You are my son and I'm pleased. Do you realize that Jesus hadn't even performed one miracle yet? He hadn't even gone to the cross yet because God's pleasure over Jesus wasn't out of performance. It was out of relationship. And it's the same thing with us. So many times we become a Christian and we're like, we've got to do all these good things, which those good things are good for your life. But God's not pleased with you because of what you do. He's pleased with you because he's relationship with you. So the enemy comes and engages Jesus in the very area Jesus heard the word in. The only way you and I are going to have a changed mind is if we understand that the enemy is going to engage us every time the promises are spoken to us and we claim a promise. The enemy is going to come and engage that. He's going to try to undermine you and God's intention for your life by calling into questions the truth of God's promise over your life. You can say, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. And the enemy is going to come and try to put fear into your mind. You may say, I have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And what happens? The enemy is going to come and bring chaos into your life. You may say, I am the head and not the tail. The enemy is going to come and try to make you feel inferior and less than. And if you don't understand how to argue back, you're not going to make lead way in your mind. So I want us to use to see what happened every time, every time the devil talked to Jesus, Jesus argues back. If you're going to win in your mind every time the enemy talks to you, 
every time you have to argue back. The, your mind is going to be reflective of who you let have the last word. So who are you going to have let have the last word? So you need to open your mouth and talk back. So turn to your neighbor and say, talk back. Now, kids, this isn't for you. <laughs> Unless it's at the enemy, then you can talk back. So let's look again, Matthew 4, 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But then in verse 4, Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then verse 6, the enemy says, If you're the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 9, all of this, he said, I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. In verse 10, Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, every time the devil said something to Jesus, Jesus argues back. And then in verse 11, it says, then the devil left him. Could it be that the devil hasn't left you yet because you're not talking back? Or maybe you tried it and you talked back once and it didn't work, so you gave up. Do you think that Jesus, we're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, had to talk back three times before the enemy left us, left him, that we are going to need to talk back at least three times before the enemy will leave us alone? So every time he says something to you, you have to answer back. Uh, one time when my boys were little, Nathan and Jordan, they were saying, if you have kids, you understand this, saying some mean things to each other and fighting with each other. And they just kept saying, you know, just slurring these words to each other, you know, and I don't like you and you're mean and all this kind of stuff. So Ronnie and I thought we had a bright idea and we, would, we thought, if you don't like each other, we're going to handcuff you guys to each other until you start liking each other. And, uh, you know, that was funny for us. <laughs> so they sat there and they said, we said, you can't get uncuffed. We're not going to uncuff you until you say three things you love about your brother. And, of course, they did it and, you know, they went on. But they were bound up because of the wrong things they were saying. But they could have been released by just saying the right words. So every chance the enemy gets, he will try to undermine God's affirmation for you. See, the devil said to Jesus, if you're the son of God, as if it was even up for discussion. When God says it, it should have been just done right then. But the enemy will always try to get you to be unsettled in the areas he needs you to be unsettled in. See, Jesus keeps saying, it is written. He isn't making decisions based on his feelings, based on his emotions. He's making decisions based on the word. Remember, he just fasted for 40 days, so I bet he was pretty hungry. <laughs> How many of you, I know, when I'm hungry, I get to the point where I'm hangry? That's me. And when I become hangry, I'm not nice. You know, I might say some mean things. I just want food. You know, leave me alone. Give it to me now, you know. And so here's Jesus. He's hungry, and now the enemy is picking on him. I'm sure Jesus wanted to just throw him off that cliff, right? <laughs> I'm sure he did. But he is not making decisions on how he feels. 
He's making decisions on what the word says and the truth of the word. So Jesus argues back every single time. He says, it is written. So Jesus not only teaches us to argue back, but he teaches us how to argue back. He says, first thing, number one, he says, argue accurately. See, the enemy knew the word and he perverted the word. But Jesus argues accurately. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean that you have to know word for word what the Bible says. But it does mean that you, got to, you need to know what's in the Bible. If you don't know what's in the Bible, how are you going to argue? You have to know in your spirit what's in there, which means you need to read it. Don't just take someone else's word for what's in the Bible because people will misinterpret the Bible all the time. If you hear something, you need to look in the Bible and find it for yourself and apply it in your own life. The second thing is Jesus argues assuredly. This means without a doubt. Argue like you've already been persuaded. See, you argue differently when you have truth in your back pocket. Have you ever tried to lie to somebody by making up truth? (laughs) How did that work out for you? (laughs) When I was little, um, I went to my friend's house, and she had this beautiful necklace, and it was so pretty. It was sparkly, and it had these diamondettes, you know, all around it, and had a little pink heart on it. And I loved it, and I thought it's so pretty that that's got to belong to me. And so I stole it, and I put it in my pocket. Well, I go home, and I put the necklace on, and I'm wearing it so proudly. Well, my mom sees it, and she's like, where did you get that necklace? And I'm like, what necklace? I forgot I had it on. I'm like, what necklace? And she's like, that necklace, where did you get that? Oh, 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 yeah, this necklace. Um, um, Yeah, my my, my friend gave it to me. It was so pretty. She thought I needed to have it, needed to sparkle on my neck. And my mom said, "Uh, she really give that to you? And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, she did. My mom knew it wasn't true because I knew it wasn't true. So you argue differently when you know something's true. So when you know what the word says and you know in your knower that it's truth, you argue differently. So argue assuredly. Know what you're arguing arguing is true. So what has God said about you? What are those things in the Bible that's true? Before you get up for the day, when you go into the bathroom and you're getting ready, you can look in the mirror with y'all's stinky breath (laughs) and you can say, I am loved. That's a truth right there. I am a child of God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Those are promises for you. You can claim that. You can't be convincing to the enemy if you're not convinced yourself. So be sure and know what you're, what you're arguing is true. The third thing, third thing is argue adamantly. This is what Jesus did. He did not give up. He was unyielding. He argued relentlessly. Every time the devil came at Jesus, Jesus argues back. Every single time, Jesus had an adamant attitude. He was thinking, how long do you want to do this? Because I can do this all day. Now, he was hungry, remember, I'm sure. But he was like, I can do this all day. Because he knew that if the enemy came in and got his mind, then he had him. You have to fight for your mind like your life depends on it, because it does. The quality of your life directly ties to the condition of your mind. What's in your mind? Listen, your mind won't change itself. You have to change it. Some of you know who you are, and when you argue, you have to have the last word. How many in here are like that? Some of us are like, yeah, I am. Don't change that. Just do that to the enemy. 
So how many of you go to bed, might be tormented by fear of what's happened, or anxious and worried over what could happen, and you're thinking about and pondering about all the different scenarios? I do this sometimes, and it's not good, because then when you go to sleep, the enemy will steal your sleep. He'll come in and give you nightmares over all the situations and over what did happen or, or all that. But some of us just need to get a determination spirit that we are going to be who God says we are. And we can do what God says we can do. So who's thankful for what God has already done in your life? Right, for the victory you already have. Well, the word is your weapon. Every attack on Jesus, how did Jesus respond? He said, it is written. He answered back every single time. The word came out of him. Jesus didn't just think about it. You know, sometimes we think, oh, we'll just think about the word and that'll, that'll help me. Although that's good. You do need to think about the word all the time. But you, there's power in speaking it out. Jesus didn't just turn and walk away. How many of you know that Jesus could have turned and walked away and he would have been just fine? No, he spoke the word. Jesus didn't call up his friends and say, hey, guess what? You won't believe what happened to me today. I can't believe this. No, he spoke the word. So see, sometimes we need to put the word in us to know what it says. So take the time to read it, listen to it anytime you can, and then to apply it. So when it come, when, it'll come out of you when you need it. When you went to school, you had to take tests, right? Because teachers knew that not only did you need to learn the material, but that you needed to apply it in a, in, on a test to make sure that you really, really did know it. That's the same with us. We need to apply the word in our life. So the word of God is, is your weapon. You need to get it in you and apply it. So when you come in on Sunday mornings, take notes. Go home, look it over, listen to the podcast. So Monday morning comes, you can look over your notes and you can apply it to your life. Tuesday morning comes, apply it to your life. Wednesday morning comes, Ask God, how can I apply this truth to my life today? Thursday morning comes, apply it. Saturday night comes, some of you know what I'm talking about, apply it. (laughs) You know you know it when you're faced with a situation and you have to apply it. For example, somebody did something to you and hurt you again. You can be bitter and angry and upset and choose to be just very angry towards that person, or or you can choose to forgive that person and release it. Do you know that forgiveness is not for that person? It's for you. It releases you from so much anger and bitterness and strongholds in your life. When you forgive them, it's not excusing what they've done. It's for you, it's for your heart. Peace and and, and, and a peace that comes in and floods your heart will just overtake your soul. So what is at stake? The reason I love Jesus so much is because Jesus made decisions with my destiny in mind. He made every decision because of his love for people. Every decision he was thinking about us. How do I know this? For one, his baptism. You know what baptism is, right? It, was, it is an outward expression of an inward transformation. 
So what happens is when you're baptized, you go into the water as an old, the old you, and then a new you comes up out of the water. So why in the world did Jesus have to be baptized? For what? There was no old Jesus. There was nothing that needed to be changed about Jesus. He was the spotless lamb of God. If there was anybody who could have skipped baptism, it could have been Jesus. Come on, it's like LeBron James asking for dunking lessons. (laughs) Or maybe even Celine Dion asking you to help her with her voice. You know, Jesus could have skipped baptism. So why did he do it? I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, Jesus did not come to die a death that you and I were supposed to die. But he also came to live a life that you and I are supposed to live. He came to be baptized to give us hope. That we don't have to be defined by our past mistakes or our current situations. But how many can be thankful because there can be a new me, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. When the enemy comes against you, you have to know what is at stake. It's your peace and it's your mind. So remember the sea turtles, those cute little sea turtles, frantically trying to get to the ocean. They didn't have a protector. They don't have a savior. They're just, it's every turtle for themselves. Remember, only one in a thousand actually lived to adulthood. But we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. When you become a child of God, we should have a thousand out of a thousand living a full and abundant life because Christ has given us everything that we need to have victory in our life. So when we become a child of God, God says, Here, here's the path. Come, follow me. Don't be afraid. I will be with you every step of the way. He says, you can do it. I believe in you. And I'm going to give you everything you need to succeed. He says, don't worry about the enemy. He's going to come and try to confuse you. Just listen to me. Just follow me. I provided everything for you and you can do it. So let's go ahead and close off. Everyone back. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.